welcome to Tea Time with Monica. Are you ready to spill some tea? Hello, loves. Welcome to Tea Time with Monica. Today, we are sipping tea with Tanika Gray Valburn, founder of the White Dress Project a nonprofit organization dedicated to bringing awareness, raising funds, and increasing education about uterine fibroids. Tanika is an award-winning journalist and educator with passion for women's health. After her struggles with uterine fibroids, she was inspired to create the White Dress Project. As the founder, she successfully worked with doctors, health advocates, and elected officials in multiple states to pass legislation declaring July as Fibroid Awareness Month. In addition to encouraging women to be their own health advocates, Tanika works as a content producer for the cable news network CNN. She has been awarded three coveted Peabody Awards for her contributions in journalism. Welcome, Tanika. Thank you so much, Monica. I'm so excited to be sipping tea with you. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I think we're going to discuss something that's near and dear to both of our hearts. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, you know, audience, if you don't know, I, um, I had fibroid, found out in 2013 and had my myomectomy. So mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to cover this topic because I don't think a lot of people know much yeah, about fibroids still. Absolutely. That's so true. And I appreciate you doing that because we really have to band together to lift the voices of women suffering from fibroids. Yes. Um, That's really why I started the White Dress Project, because I wanted our stories to be told and I wanted legislators and, and, and people of influence to understand what a woman suffering from fibroids is going through. Yeah. And we, I appreciate you for starting this organization and getting the word out there. So today I'm going to start with a quote before we start this interview. It's your illness does not define you. Your strength and courage does. How do you and your work relate to this quote? Yeah, this quote resonates with me so much because I truly believe that we are much more than any illness that def- that tries to define us. We're mm-hmm. much more than a job. We're much more than a wife, much more than friends, daughters. We are the combination of all of those things. Right. So it resonates with me because I know that it is not the end all be all. I know that even though I have fibroids, even though fibroids have caused challenges in my life, even though I I have fibroids and I've had to make accommodations, Mm -hmm. there's still hope. There's still options. I still have other things that I'm doing that I'm successful with Mm -hmm. um, that make me proud, that make me a boss, right? Yeah, you are a boss. Thank you. I feel like we have to um, uh, take that, that onus on more. We have to make sure that we're characterizing ourselves that way and not defining ourselves challenges that happen in our lives because it is, it's going to happen. It's like, it's right. It is what it is. Right. So finding ways to make sure that we take things that try to define us in our lives and make those things positive. So I can be defined as a founder of an organization that's turned my personal struggle into my testimony, into my my champion voice. Um, So yeah, I I like to define myself that way. Yeah, and I love how you just put that all together that's saying, you know, I'm so many more things than my fibroids. And I'm gonna show you. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's a, a couple um, Instagram accounts now talking about um, we're more than our wounds. Yeah. We're more than the idea that because we're women, we're supposed to be mothers. Because we're women, we're supposed to be a wife. Um, and I just, uh, those types of things resonate with me too, because when you have fibroids, you know, you can almost feel like your body is out of control. Like, yeah. You, you know, you don't have any say in what's going on and it can control or try to control so many areas of your life. 
So I love um, taking that power away from it mm-hmm. and giving it back to myself. Um, when I was thinking about the name The White Dress Project, I wanted something that for so long I wasn't able to do, which is wear white. Yeah. And I wanted to turn what I felt was negative instances in my life into something positive. So anybody who has fibroids understands that, you know, usually if you're, I should say, if you have symptomatic fibroids, Mm -hmm. but if you have symptomatic fibroids, you don't feel comfortable wearing white. No, but this is right. No, you don't at all. You're like, oh God, I don't even want to wear any other color but black. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And when I realized that I had, you know, um, made, these changes to my wardrobe because of these uh, benign tumors. Right. I was like, what is going on? No, I, I, I wanted to use something tangible that I feel like I could take back. Um, right. Yeah. That, that just explains the white dress, but I love those phrases that, you know, uh, my illness doesn't define me. I am not my womb. I am more than what you see. I am the combination of all. Yeah, I truly love it. I truly love it. It's yeah. very inspiring. So tell us, how did you discover, you know, that you had fibroids? What were your symptoms and your diagnosis like? So for me, um, fibroids early. So ever since I got my period, which was around 13 years old, mm. I had heavy period. Mm-hmm. At first, I didn't recognize what was going on because, you know, as a woman, your mother kind of just teaches you that, your period's going to come, you're going to bleed, you know, you protect yourself. This is how it goes down. Right. But I think, um, you know, we don't really talk about heavy menstrual bleeding, the pain, Oh gosh, the, the back pain. pain. Oh, girl. <laughs> the, <pain. laughs> the heavy bleeding. Yeah. Uh, the, the having to go to the bathroom all the time. Like, we don't talk about those things. So when those type of uh, bulk symptoms started to happen to me, I was like, oh, I'm a girl. I'm growing into a young woman. This is just how it goes down. Um, And what's interesting with my story is that my mother had fibroids. Really? And she lost, she did. She lost two sets of twins, two fibroids. And I came in the middle. So she lost a set and she had me. And then she lost a set after me. So I'm an only child. And she, you know, like considers me her miracle baby. Mm -hmm. But I, even though going through all those bulk symptoms, we still didn't put it together. Like we still weren't like, oh yeah, you have fibroids. I had fibroids. Mm -hmm. We still didn't put it together. Um, So for, for a very long time, I just suffered and thought that this is the way it was. And for me, I've always been like a slim person but I would always have a protruding belly mm-hmm. and I just never understood it. Like we thought it was to eat, you know, I just, no one knew. Um, mm. But yeah, it, in the beginning for me, it's, it's funny when I hear uh, doctors talk about, you know, fibroids being diagnosed in your reproductive years and, you know, like a little bit after your twenties, Right. I'm like, Hmm, not me, you know? (laughs) So that's why I share my story too, because I want younger women to know that, hey, you to monitor your period and and your your, uh, abdominal pain should not be off the charts and out of control every month. Like that could be a sign, um, potentially a fibroid. Yeah, and see, when when you get sex education in school, they don't go that deep either. You know, it's just, it's just an overview. And like you said, with your mom, it's just like, these are your, this is what happens. And I know with me, my mom was like, well, yeah, you just get cramps. Here's some pills here. Right. Right. You know, here's some pills. And then we, did your mom and you, or did any women in your family, um, kind of talk about their health or that, you know, their health as being a woman about what their cycles and reproduction no. And I always share that my mom and I are close, like, you know, talk every two hours. I think back to what she taught me about sex, what she taught me about reproductive, what she taught me about being a woman. 
it -hmm. was all surrounded in um, protection, Mm -hmm. right? So everything was about don't get pregnant because you don't want to embarrass yourself. Yeah. Everything became, um, here's how you line your underwear. You wear two pads and a tampon in my life, Monica. Because I've just had the fear. You, do, do you know me? Are we twins? Because I have to do those things. <laughs> yes, I believe it. And so back to, you know, how our mothers taught us. Like, I just really feel like they, they taught in terms of protection. Like she, I know every mattress cover because of my mother. Yeah. I know how to get blood out of every material because of my mother. And I know how to pad my underwear properly, bleed out. Um, but when I think about, did we have those in-depth conversations about what potentially could be going on in my body? Mm-hmm. Why am I clotting like this? No, we didn't. And I, I love her to death. She loves me. So it's not to discredit my mom. I just think they also teach from their vantage point and their perspective. Right. And I'm, I'm Jamaican and I don't know, it's like a thing. I think it's just a woman thing that we're taught not to talk about issues below the belt. Right. I think we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Just not um, to talk about it in depth. Right. Exactly. Um, so if it's pain, it's go take Motrin, go take Advil, whatever. If it's, you know, bleeding, here's how you protect yourself and don't embarrass yourself. Um, and I think it's just all these remedies, but yeah. we do not do issue. Yeah, it's almost like it's a shameful thing. Like you have to protect yourself from everybody knowing that, oh my gosh, we have a period. Oh exactly. my gosh, there's pain. We're women. We have to, you know, this is just a part of our lives as exactly. opposed to, no, it could be something serious and it needs to be taken care of you shouldn't feel X, Y, and Z to this point. Exactly. And I think a part of that in their trying to protect us has also kind of stifled us, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this stigma around, we just, we don't, we barely want to even talk about it with our girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's just to think back. I don't think I really got really got in depth with my sister and my girl cousins that I grew up with about what it was really like. It was just like, it's painful. It's here. Don't bother me. Give yeah. me some ice cream. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It'll be done in five days. And it's what goes down, like deal with it. Yeah. I, I just want to say something about the great point you made about sex ed. You know, I've been thinking about that lately as an organization. Like, how can we revamp sex ed? Like, it's so much more than learning about how to put on a condom and ejaculation. And it's it's so much more than that. I think in our system and society, just as a point, just as to kind of answer your question in my way, it's we learn sex ed through scare tactics as opposed to how it can be, how it is okay how you have to protect yourself. Like you don't learn every piece of sex ed. It is protect yourself. If you don't, you'll get this. Yeah. This is what happens if you have a baby. Wait, that, I mean, that's basically the basis of the nutshell of how our society teaches sex ed. We do yeah. not learn the good, the bad, the indifferent about sex education. And that's exactly. why there's such a disconnect. Right. But I would argue, argue that we need to change that right yeah no because, don't we definitely do but that's what yeah. we get right i think if girls knew had a strong definition of for example what heavy menstrual bleeding is like sis no you're not supposed to be changing your pad every hour like no Mm-mm. that is a lot you're not supposed to be clotting uh these huge clots more than doctors uh our advisory informed me of the other day I think it's like more than a quarter size. Right. Like, you know, we need to be talking about this. Like you're not supposed to be in debilitating abdominal pain when your period comes on. No, it shouldn't render you helpless. Exactly. You should not be in field position on the bathroom floor because 
the lady from Red Hills is here. Like, yeah, no. Aunt Flo, whatever else you want to call her, yeah, Eve's I'll, curse, whatever. You uh, wanna, exactly. <laughs> this half of here. <laughs> right. <laughs> So no, we we're not supposed to be we not supposed to be calling that. So tell me this: when you got your diagnosis, um, did you explore treatment options on your own? Did your doctor tell you different treatment options? How did you go about treatment and remove you know any of the things yeah. that you had to do? So the first time I got diagnosed, um, I was given the option or the yeah the option of wait and watch. So if they're not bothering you, don't bother them. That type of um, mentality. So I did, I know. And tend to wonder like how helpful is that? Because they will eventually bother you. So (laughs) we probably should try to be proactive about it. Um, But when I first got diagnosed, I was probably in my uh, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just trying to keep it moving. Like, I want to live life. Nobody's trying to worry about what's growing inside of me. And um, I, my first time really having to deal with fibroids was in 2013 when I had just gotten married. Mm-hmm. And I went to a doctor and it was a male woman and he told me, um, that forget about it. My uterus was way too compromised. I, my husband and I needed to figure out how to get money to have a surrogate because Uh motherhood wasn't looking like it was going to be for me. And I was so devastated, Monica, leaving that appointment. And Mm. I don't, it was like, you know, the moment when you're so, so sad and then you just rebound and you're like, no, he's not going to tell me that. Like, then you just become like this fierce, powerful advocate. And that's when I said, I'm going to fight for myself. Um, And that's, I think it was at that moment that I started. And I feel I didn't have that experience where someone is basically telling me to get a hysterectomy, which so many are offered as the first option, which is a whole nother infuriating conversation. Um, I feel like if I didn't have that experience, though, then I wouldn't have known how to advocate for myself because I probably would have just done what he said. Um, but because what he said was so final, I was like, oh, oh, no, no, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm yeah. going down like this. Um, so that's when I think the tide turned for me and I, I started to become a fierce advocate. And that's amazing how you found a way to actually have your voice heard. You were like, no, this is not the final. There's something else. I can be an agent of change in this conversation. Absolutely. And I think at the White Dress Project, that is one of the things that I want and our board wants to express so much that when I think of my medical team, like mm-hmm. they work for me. Like these are the my medical doctors, but I am the CEO of all of this. Oh like my I god! Oh, say that again. This. I am the CEO of my body. Yes, you are just there working for me to help me make sure my body is great. If we Absolutely. all thought like that, oh my gosh, that is so amazing. Yes, I am the CEO of my body, and all of my medical providers work for me. And that is not to disrespect the years of medical school. That is not to um, say that there's, you know, what they know about science isn't accurate. It is just to say that if no one is going to care like I care, I can't expect you to, to do it for me. I love it. Yeah. And I have to be my personal agent. Right. Yeah. And um, I think just we just have an allegiance um, to the white coat. We just don't want to question it. We don't want to, you know, offer any challenging dialogue with them. Right. Um, and I would say to anyone, if, if, if no one gets anything else from this, please, please, please let us digress from that thinking Mm-hmm. and get to the point where we understand that we have to be our own best health advocate. Nobody knows and cares about your body. Right. Like you do. 
Yeah. So did so when you came home from that appointment and said you said you were going to speak up for yourself, is that was that the very infancy of the white dress project? Did you just started right after that or did it take some time? No, so it, it took a little probably about six to eight months later. Okay. Um, because I really did have to deal with my fibroids because this man just told me like it's over for you. Yeah. And I was like, okay, no, it's not. Cause a God and B cause you don't, you don't mm. run this. Right. Right. So I just became a fierce advocate for myself at that point. So mm. I was diligent about finding uh, the right doctor for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing to point out that everybody needs to recognize that finding the right doctor is such an individual process. Yeah. I um, liken it to dating. Like, Mm. We might have to go on a couple of dates. I might have to see a couple of people while I'm seeing you. Mm. But I need to figure out who's the one. And if you're not it, that's okay. You are the right doctor for the patient. It's just not me. So I feel like, again, if we took control of how we go about seeking out these people who are caring for our bodies right. and have more onus and take more responsibility in it, we'll have better outcomes. I agree. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was about six months after that, once I figured out what I, my personal plan was going to be, and I found a wonderful doctor mm-hmm. um, who I really felt, you know, was invested in maintaining my, my part so that I could think about future fertility. Um, then I was like, well, hold up what is everybody else going through? Like right. my sisters and my friends and my, you know, cousins, what are they going through? So that's when I started to think of community and I started to think of how can I support other women? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had my surgery. Um, and at, right after my surgery, um, it was my first major surgery. I had never broken anything. Mm-hmm. So I had never gone through any major surgery. And it was during my recovery. I was like, this is horrible. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's simple stuff like rolling over on the bed with yeah. no body pillow. <laughs> like, <laughs> All I remember is my, my youngest nieces who took care of me the most. <laughs> yeah. And I had to play dolls to get taken care of, but I couldn't move. Exactly. You had to bargain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play with a doll if you do this, you know? So I understand. Right. You can't do anything after that surgery. No. And I think that really gave me the push um, to say, okay, how many of these surgeries are being done? Like every... I talk to is like, oh yeah, girl, my aunt, my cousin, my sister, everybody mm-hmm. has fibroids. So is everybody going through this pain? And is everybody taking eight weeks off of work to recover? Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those like moments um, just made me feel like I want to do something. No one asking, you know, for money for fibroids, no t-shirts, no runs, no walks, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I didn't see it, I created it. And yeah. we have the White Dress Project. Yeah. So talk about some of the work that you do, though, with the White Dress Project. Because you've, you've, you've done quite a bit in this time that you've been, you know, working with this issue. So talk about some of that work. Yes. We are so proud of the work we do to support women suffering from fibroids. Mm -hmm. I'll start by saying one of the things that we're most proud of is we are the authors of legislation that um, has gotten uh, July declared as Fibroids Awareness Month through the U.S. House. And um, I am so proud of that. And I think it's such a significant piece of legislation because it speaks to uh, a patient using her voice mm-hmm. to make sure that people of influence heard her. Yeah. And I really feel like I speak for so many women when, when I wrote that legislation and all of the things that I had to do to get it passed. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I want to make it clear that it's not easy to get things like that passed through any of our, our systems because it's just not important to them. No. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot of convincing that has to be done. I remember there was a legislator who told me, um, that I should loop fibroids in with uterine cancer and maybe it's it's not the same. Exactly. And, and maybe it would get more traction that way. Um, and I, oh, I, I don't understand why there should be any standard that I guess has to be the standard that makes something relevant. Um, so that just, you know, put me in a bad place, but also made me fight harder and made mm-hmm. me understand that I have to convince people. And I think now my argument is, um, so how's your mom and sister and daughter doing with fibroids? Because 80% of black women and 70% of white women will have some type of fibroid by their 50. That's a large percentage in both of those exactly. ethnicities. Exactly. Exactly. Large. Exactly. So maybe as a male, you don't understand it, but there's someone in your family that potentially knows what I'm talking about. Well, that's the problem with men, all the men being in the room deciding on our health care. But, you know, that's a conversation for another day because <laughs> we might go like three hours with that one. Right. right. No, you're so right. You're yeah. so right. And that's why we have to change that narrative too. You know, like we have to get more women in the room who can make these decisions. So before you talk about any other uh, work, I just really want to ask real quick, why the month of July? Yeah, so that that is so interesting. Um, I had my surgery in July. Okay. And I think that is when it was, not I think, I know that's when it was birth for me. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just significant to me because I feel like it was at that moment I knew that I had to do something. And I also recognized that it was connected to my purpose. Mm -hmm. So I think once all of those things happen in, you know, in that same time period, you know, you tend to think like, is this it? Like, this has to be it. Yeah. Um, And July just felt right. And I also didn't want to compete with, you know, October breast cancer awareness and Mm -hmm. days. And then, you know, all the things um, that happened in the spring. Um, And I also connected it to uh, white and before Labor Day and summertime. So, you know, just thinking about the branding of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's, it's worked out for us so far. Yeah, yeah. So um, you also do advocacy days and things of that nature. Talk about some of that and the speaker series that you've done. Yeah, so a big part of our mission is to make sure that women understand that they should share their stories. Like Mm -hmm. if we don't share our stories and give our anecdotes and our accounts, then people don't know, right? People don't know that I took a PTO day, not because I just wanted to chill, but because my period was out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have to tell those stories, whether we think they are, you know, issues below the belt that we're not supposed to talk about. I would argue that we need to dismiss all of that so that people understand what we're going through. So we do have um, what we call capital days, Mm -hmm. where we go and advocate for our organization, for women who are suffering from fibroids, for legislation, for Mm -hmm. appropriations, for research and education dollars. Um, And we bring patients with us. And it's all about sharing the patient story. And I promise you, many times, uh, legislators are often like, I never even heard of fibroids. Or I thought fibroids were fibromyalgia. Or <laughs> no. <laughs> no, sir. So I'm going to educate you right quick. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they have, um, those days and those advocacy moments have proven to be very helpful for us. The other thing that we like to do is make sure that we are getting the best education to our, our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, because none of us, you know, claim that we are a doctor, we don't play one on TV, none of that. So we always want to bring doctors to our community. And the idea is that you get 
a second opinion without making an appointment, you know? Right. Yeah. You have the opportunity, you know, to hear from another doctor. And obviously he or she doesn't have your medical records and all of that, but it just gives you another perspective. Yeah. Um, so the, those are usually our speaker series with doctors and we always include, um, like a mental health professional because we understand the trauma that is related to having a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so many people don't talk about if I'm bleeding for 15 days out the month, mm-hmm. like something is going, like I, high, low, I can get depressed. Like there is a mental health component to it. It definitely is. Yeah. Um, so we always like to, to have that available as well. And then um, I think the last thing I'll say about what we do is, well, at least pre-COVID, we were a very group. So we love to have activities where we get together. Mm -hmm. Um, Women wear white, they get dressed up, everybody looks so cute. And you just feel like you're in a group where you're you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, People understand your story. You can talk about it and nobody's going to shun you. And it's just a very supportive environment. What we found is that while we have a robust um, social media community, Mm -hmm. women still like to come and touch and feel you and know that you're real and know that you really support them. Um, So that's why our in-person events, you know, did so well. And it's not to celebrate fibroids, it's to celebrate us as women and understanding that we have a commonality and we support each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think though, with us having like this new norm right now that you'll do some type of um, get together virtually where we're, where women are wearing white and they are getting on virtually to see each other and talk? Yes. So we're so excited. We're about to um, start promoting what we're going to be doing for next month for July for Fibroids Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you that the the first day of the month is called um, Wear White Day. Mm -hmm. We're so excited about that because it's just an opportunity for everybody on social media across the world just to wear white, take a picture, post it, And just show um, that we're in this together. Just another means of um, showing connectivity, showing Mm -hmm. unity. Um, So yeah, we're so excited about what we're going to be doing virtually for Fibroids Awareness Month. It's going to be programming where we bring doctors to you so that you can have these real questions answered. Right. Um, We've heard from our community a lot that sometimes you know, they don't go get a second opinion because they can't take another day off. Or, you know, the, the other doctor's just going to tell me the same thing. Yeah. So we want to kind of clear the path of those barriers mm-hmm. and allow them to um, have these doctors that they can speak to. So some we're going to be doing a couple intimate settings where patients can really ask doctors questions you're gonna have an opportunity to register and yeah so we're excited to roll those things out and this is our fifth year wow yeah so we're gonna have a birthday party at the end of the month we are so excited about that too oh i will have to join for the birthday party yeah <laughs> definitely yes monica we love you because you've been so supportive of our organization Thank over you. the years and shared your personal story. So we appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, to tell you the truth, finding an organization and organizations that speak to me and speak to things that I go through is something that helps me. Um, And honestly, when I was diagnosed with my fibroid, it was just like, what in the world is this? I didn't know what was going on. Luckily, I was fortunate enough, like you said, to have a good relationship with a doctor. Mm-hmm. and was able to talk about it. But, you know, if I didn't, where would I be? So, right. like I said, I continuously appreciate, you know, the work that you're doing with this organization. So I could do nothing but support <laughs> and get the word out there because before I was diagnosed, I didn't know. Right. I had right. no clue. Yeah. So I, I felt the same way you do. It's like, well, God darn it, if I'm going through this, who else is, you right. know? 
Right. So definitely. So talk to me about some of the partnerships, because I know you guys have done some partnerships to help, um, to help with getting the word out there. What was, what are some of the partnerships that go on? Yeah. So we, we are excited when women share their stories. So Mm -hmm. one of our big partnerships was with, uh, this former supermodel, Cynthia Bailey. Mm-hmm. And um, she is just an awesome woman. She's so honest about her fibroid journey. And she often shares a story where she was on a red carpet situation or going to a, a red carpet event and had some heavy bleeding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just being an embarrassing moment for her. And I think just people being able to see a celebrity talk so um, freely about some of the issues that they're going through has really proven to be great partnerships for us. We love when, when influencers and people in the public are able to share because it just allows again, another means to allow us to know that we're not alone. Yeah. Um, So connecting with influencers and celebrities like yourself obviously you've supported us in the past um so so using your influence to share about our organization Mm -hmm. is is always a good thing and then obviously there are companies that support us Mm -hmm. um either come have like a patient advocacy arm for women's health um or uh companies that you know specifically are interested in a, a, a woman's audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of this, we've been out here grinding. I know and, that's right. <laughs> and doing it on our own. You know, I'm so proud of our board. All of us work full time, you know, time, like heavily demanding jobs. But all of patients, there's no one on our board who hasn't had fibroids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really for patients by patients, you know what I mean? So I love that. Under- yeah, thank you. We understand the grind and understand from a patient perspective, what we want and what we need. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I like how you said it's for, by patients for patients because yeah. we all have to learn how to help each other advocate. And it just goes back to your, the, the I'm just calling it your quote, I'm the CEO of my body and you're working for me. So we're all helping each other. Like, all right, honey, I'm about to lift you up. You about to be the CEO of your body, honey. You about to do this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what, since you've been working with this and learning about the research treatment, what progress has been made on diagnosis on treatment, all that type of stuff? Yeah. I, I wish I was going to have like a revolution missionary answer (laughs) something that could showcase like how far we've come Mm -hmm. um but unfortunately i can't and that's why we exist like we we are at the point still where where there are so many um health disparities happening for black women right Mm -hmm. there i shouldn't say for black women but health disparities happening to black women yeah and I feel like we are still at the infancy stages where people aren't even recognizing, like I said earlier, that a Black woman will be offered hysterectomy as a first treatment option. A hysterectomy as mm-hmm. a first treatment option. And we do know that Black women get fibroids two to three times more symptoms than white women um so mm-hmm. our fibroids grow larger we're more symptomatic meaning we we sometimes bleed heavier and we have less positive outcomes in terms of treatment like those mm-hmm. are, are factual things um so i feel like we're just at the the cusp of having those conversations mm-hmm. so until we have those and our uh, legislators and influencers recognize that this is a real issue mm-hmm. then we're not going to have the progress that we need to have and i think that we stress so much at the white dress project that we have to share our stories we can't just have these like uh silo conversations where we're just talking amongst our, our friend groups no we have to let people 
people know what is going on. So we don't hear things like you should just loop this in with uterine cancer. Right. No, it's something that can stand on its own. And I would argue that 80% of anything for a male, we'd have commercials, funding, money, uh, ma'am, campaign. <laughs> I can't even look at you right now because I want to laugh. Because only if they had babies. And... <laughs> exactly. If they had babies, I don't know what would be available. Um, you know. Exactly. If they even had one day of a period, honey, that would be considered a separate sick day. But we're not going <laughs> to. Exactly. Why are you trying to open up so many different conversations today? <laughs> I know, but it's all so real. So, you know, you being a journalist, yeah, are we gonna ever get a, a fibro a documentary about the healthcare disparities or fibroids in general? Can we ever expect that from you? Let's do it. I think we should. Look, we can Let's work together on this. Absolutely. That's why I said let's. <laughs> Do it. All right. I'm okay. coming on board and Absolutely. we're going to discuss this. I'm like, you hold me to this. Hold me accountable. I will. I will because I agree with you. It's a conversation that needs to be had. I think there is um, you being a journalist and, and you, well, you being a woman who knows how to tell stories very well, right? Mm -hmm. And if, if you want to by yourself as a journalist, I, I consider you one. Um, because you. you know the art of welcome because you know the art of storytelling right mm -hmm. and that's essentially mm -hmm. what any good journalist does and I think that you recognize that this story could be in a way that is impactful and sheds light on the disparities light on the research gaps right mm -hmm. and it shed shed light sheds light on the lack of funding the lack of options um, and I think we need to do it. I think it's long overdue. It is and very I think much so. That there would be women who would be willing to participate. There'd be doctors who would be willing um, to speak about the the injustice that's in the, the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. um, and I think once we start to highlight those things, very much like what's happening in the country now where we need to uproot some things and we need to shed a light on some things in order for systems to change and be broken, like you alluded to earlier. Yeah, we, I totally agree. And I am, audience, you all hold me to this. Tanika, you hold me to this. We are gonna work on this. Yeah. Because the story does need to be told. There's a lot of research. There's so many myths too that need to be dispelled in this documentary. Like, let's talk about some of these myths though, because <laughs> We, I don't know if it's a myth, if it's real. You know, they say there's research about black women and getting relaxers and, you know, about your diet, about um, your level of vitamin D, your level of iron, you know, what's true, what's not true. What are these myths and how are we going to say what's real and what dispel the ones that are wrong? Yeah, the, these myths are real. And I think there are communities out there that, um, share their personal experiences with how they treat their fibroids, and then it becomes like a business, right? Yeah. So there are, you know, you can search Instagram and find all sorts of herbal treatments. And I'm not here to dispel whether any of those work or not, because I have um, never tried those in particular. Mm -hmm. But I think we do need to discuss... Um, what's out there and make sure that our community knows that, hey, yeah, vitamin D does have an impact. Overall, diet has to play into what's happening in your body because overall, healthy diet and healthy lifestyle we know is conducive to good life, right? Right. So there are arguments to be made about the holistic side of things. There are arguments to be made about what we put in our body and how they contribute. But I would also argue that, you know, just because I eat chicken, I don't know if that is what is making me get fibroids. Right. Just because I relax my hair doesn't, I don't know if that, so I feel like it, 
has to be a combination of some things mm -hmm. because I haven't relaxed my hair in about 15 years mm -hmm. and I have still had two myomectomies. Wow. After my first myomectomy, I went completely vegan for about a year. Mm -hmm. And I still had to have a second myomectomy. Wow. So I'm not saying that there aren't a holistic treatments that can work and that there aren't myths that are out there that some people can contribute to um, fibroid growth. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think we need to have a conversation with doctors and scientists and patients to share their experience um, so that we can talk about it. And, and I think what that allows is it allows us to compare, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're documenting and you see that, you know, you stop relaxing your hair, you only eat fish and vegetables now, and you feel like your bloating has gone down, that's something to write down. That's something to document. That's something to take to your first, second, and third doctor. Right. And all of us have a conversation about, hey, I think... I think I'm onto something here. So right. that's why the, the CEO of our own bodies, the agent that we need to be to ourselves comes into play so much. Yeah. Because when I hear Monica say, hey, this is what happened to me, and I hear somebody else say, this is what happened to her, then I compare that to my own experience. I look at the research. I look at what science says. I hear what my doctor is saying. Mm -hmm. That's how we get to these educated decisions about what our best move is for our body. Exactly. Yeah. You're right about that. Because yeah. we do have to make an educated decision. I mean, and you're right. There's stuff that's holistic, that those herbal treatments that can help or aid us in feeling better and get us to some relief. Because yeah. I mean, that's pretty much where science started. Absolutely. Um, so they, they do have some, I think there is some validity to some of that, but it's what is really going to be that agent to help us exactly and, and how, I think, yeah and how science combines with that exactly how science combines with that is key and I think uh that each of us is so individual too that's why we have to figure mm -hmm. it out for ourselves that's why you have to journal about your body for so long I was like um I had heard about acupuncture mm -hmm. and I was like oh no like Ain't nobody sticking me with no needles. <laughs> Why? No. The blood flow. What? No. <laughs> and let me tell you, I started acupuncture last, uh, I think it was like last August. Mm -hmm. And I literally will be at home, have a day off, be at home and leave the house to go to acupuncture. Wow. I even leave to get food, but we'll leave the house, ma'am. I am not missing my acupuncture appointment. You hear me? So, oh my God. And I'm one of them scared of needles. So I'm like, girl, for real, do it work? <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have personally seen how it's aided in my cramps. Mm. And I just don't have debilitating cramps the way I used to. So what are your thoughts about, um, so I know we, you guys, we talked previously before we started recording. <laughs> so I've told her that Vice Land is one of my favorite channels. Yeah. One of my first shows that I watched on there was Weed Again. Mm -hmm. And there was an episode where um, Krishna was talking to women about the use of CBD or use of cannabis to aid in, you know, pain for menstrual mm -hmm. cramps. What do you think about the studies with the CBD now and them help it, it helping with pain? Do you think that will aid or have something to help with the fibroid pain or anything? Yes. Yeah, so I personally haven't tried any CBD oil or CBD products, but I know there are members of our community who have talked about it and who have mm -hmm. talked about it in terms of um, helping with even joint pain and feeling like it's, it's, um, uh, relieving like arthritis pain and those types of things. Mm -hmm. So I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised. Like I'm from Jamaica, so I'm very familiar with um, the what people talk about are the benefits of marijuana and mm -hmm. and, its, and its derivatives. Um, but my thing is like we just need to be open and honest and transparent about all new medicines. And I'm not saying that we need to be guinea pig thing but I just keep thinking about if I never tried acupuncture like I just would have not known the benefit mm -hmm. 
and acupuncture has been is Chinese medicine from year hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Um, so I just think we need to, like you said earlier, be able to combine things and and be able to have um, a real um, uh, what's the word balance balance yes. yeah and not everything is about science but not everything is you know because i eat you know berries and juices that i'm gonna be perfect right i think right. The combination yeah I, i'm gonna agree with you there because i think we have both and it's just it just has to come together where's that healthy medium Exactly. And I, I want to add that the mental health component is important with that too, because yeah. I have recognized that um, when I started going to therapy, it didn't happen right away, but therapy has played a huge role in me just calming down, like just mm-hmm. being able to um, have strategies to eliminate stress and decrease stress. Um so yeah, I, I think all of that, it goes hand in hand. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think your organization is doing that work. Thank you. Where it's like, look, we've got to find the issue. We've got to talk to each other so that we can talk to these doctors and somebody who has that knowledge that I may not have can put all of this together and find a solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So last question though. What advice would you give to any woman that's having those symptomatic fibroids? What should they, I mean, you've given a lot of great advice, a lot of great tidbits, but if we wanted to break it down to like the five things that you just need to do, what advice would you give them? So number one is, sis, you got to find your tribe. You have to find that group that is going to not dismiss your pain. Mm -hmm. They're not going to tell you that you're, like get over it uh they're going to face what you're saying and that doesn't need to always be you know as much as we'd love you to come to the white dress project it doesn't always have to be a public group but find your tribe find those people who are going to support you through this journey because Mm -hmm. it is a journey whether this leads to fertility um whether it leads to overall health lifestyle um Whatever you want it to be, this will be a journey and it will cause some changes in your life. So you have a group of people who can feel, support you genuinely. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, we've said it multiple times today, but become the CEO of your body yes. and allow yourself to believe that your medical health professionals work for you. And you have to find the one. And earlier we, we talked about going through the dating process. It, we need to think of it the same way, right? We need to find doctors who are invested in us, want to see the best for us, will talk through multiple options with us, will say, here, go see somebody else and come back and tell me what what they said let's let's compare yeah we need people like that in our lives who are going to be willing to go on the journey with us number three i would say and this is because it's just helped me personally i do think that we always need to um think of our mental health in this so whether Mm -hmm. that is um spirituality and and connecting to some source outside of yourself um, seeking therapy, um, you know, once again, having a strong girlfriend group that you can connect with, but making sure that our mental health is on par is important because I know that there was a point where I got extremely depressed Mm -hmm. and we talked about it earlier, but it was literally because I felt like I didn't have any control over my body. And I said to myself every day, what did I do to deserve this? Um, Mm. And that, when I got to that point, that realized to to get some help. And I know sometimes in our community, it's shunned upon, um, but forget about that. Like, we sometimes need to uh, 
employ and utilize other strategies that we might not have learned. I yeah. didn't learn them. So yeah. I needed that. And what's number four? Number four is realize that you always have options. There are always options. Yeah. Um, for whatever you want your outcome to be, what someone has said is not the final answer. Um, so explore those options and know that they do exist. It may take a little while to get to them, um, but know that they do exist. Like you, you don't just have one option. Yeah. And the last one is share your story. Um, Amen. Yes. I cannot tell you my, how sharing my story has really, I believe, led to my healing. And it's led me to my purpose in life. And I would have never thought that before because mm-hmm. I was the girl that wasn't wearing white. But I just wouldn't go to the party. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not going. What are you talking about? Right, exactly. I just wouldn't go. Um, so it's really interesting to me to see how God kind of just turned it around for me mm-hmm. and has used it to show me um, how important my life is important my voices and I want every woman suffering from fibroids every woman to know that um and I know that it becomes difficult I know that it is embarrassing I know we've been taught not to share but I promise you just from personal experience sharing has led to my healing because I know that every time I share no matter hard it is for me no matter how embarrassed I feel I just help somebody at the end of the day, I just helped somebody and I, I took some of the burden off of myself. Yeah, I, I'm, I, everything that you just said is very important and more so not just for a, a woman suffering from fibroids, but just in life in general. So yeah. I, I do like those five tidbits that you gave because you can also, you know, deal with your health, but also look past it and use those same tools to help you in so many different ways. Exactly. It comes back to, you know, if we're to wrap this up full circle, it comes back to the first question you asked me about not allowing our illness and not allowing one circumstance or not allowing one title to define us. That's right. And that's, that's the, you know, we could drop the mic on that. Because- you definitely can drop it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to agree with you because that's exactly what you're doing. And that's exactly what this podcast is about. Continuously yes. share and don't let anything define you. You define it for yourself. Absolutely. I love that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I thank you so much, Tanika, for coming on here and sharing with us about your story, about your organization giving all of your insight into what you've learned and how you want to continue to progress with yourself and this organization so much. (laughs) Thank you, Monica. I love talking to you. I literally could talk to you for hours. Like I feel like you you have such a kindred spirit and um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I truly am. So thank you for using your influence and your platform um, just to hear my story. So thank you. You're welcome. And I, I want to say, audience, thank you for taking out the time to listen to yeah. this discussion about fibroids. And if you want to actually join and, you know, figure out how you can be an agent and help the White Dress Project, Tanika, can you please tell them how they can connect with the White Dress Project? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to share where you can find us um, on Twitter. We are we can underscore wear white. On Instagram, we are at we can wear white. Um, on Facebook, we are the White Dress Project, and you can find us at the White Dress Project dot org on the internet. Oh, I was gonna say on the World Wide Web. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know I'm like, not young. Right, I'm about to say, you tell your age. Tell your age. <laughs> you can just edit that part out. No, I'm about to keep that one. I'm about to keep that one. That'll be a little laugh for everybody. <laughs> well, like you said, Tanika, we could talk all day, 
But audience, remember, hold me and Tanika hold me to this documentary because it has to be done. But thank you, audience, for listening to another great episode of Tea Time with Monica. Bye, loves. Bye. You've been listening to Tea Time with Monica. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast medium. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And follow me on social media at Monica underscore the curvy diva, spelled M-O-N-I-C-A underscore T-H-E-K-U-R-V-Y-D-I-V-A and at Tea Time with Monica.